Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 587 for the 8th of April, 2018. This week, Videoland's VLC Media Player is generally considered to be a video player, and the latest version makes it a superb video player by adding support for Blu-ray discs and Google's Chromecast, but it can do a lot more. In short circuits, Adobe's latest updates to the various Photoshop products might cause some users to wonder when it's appropriate to use each of the tools. Technology continues to change the way we travel, and travel technology company Sabre predicts that radical changes are coming. A California company has purchased an app for Apple devices from the person who developed it. Is this news? You might join me in thinking that it is once I've shared the details. The U.S. Defense Department challenges ethical hackers to break into the defense travel system. It's the latest in a bug bounty program that started two years ago. In spare parts, only on the website, Wasabi has a new cloud storage app for Mac and Windows. It's not a data backup system, but it would be a good choice for safely storing essential documents. Intelligent assistants and chatbots are likely to be used in about 40% of large organizations by this time next year. Most IT professionals say they are not worried about job security. VLC isn't new. It's been around since 1996. And if you like to watch video files or video discs on a computer or a mobile device, VLC has been one of the most popular choices for two decades. Now there's a new version, and I think you'll probably want it. In 1996, Videoland was just an academic project. VLC was an initialism for Videoland Client, the project intended to stream videos from satellite dishes across a campus network at the École Centrale Paris. Two years later, everything was rewritten, and in 2001, the viewer was released under the GNU General Public License. The server function is no longer supported. VLC3 has just been released. Until recently, I would have needed to say that it doesn't play Blu-ray discs natively and then recommend an application such as the free Lievo Blu-ray player that will repeatedly bug you to pay for a better version. Well, now VLC plays Blu-ray discs, too. And it can even convert Blu-ray video to an MP4 file if the disc isn't copy-protected. In my tests, that process requires about 30 seconds per minute of video for the initial conversion, so if you have a DRM-free disc with a 90-minute movie, the first part of the conversion will take about 45 minutes. After that, a second process completes the encoding and writes the final file. So it's not a quick process. Converting DVD discs is faster than converting Blu-ray discs, about 15 seconds per minute of video. VLC can also downsample a video if you want to play it on a portable device. There are other applications that are much better if you need to copy a disc or convert one to an MP4 file. 
Most commercial discs do include digital rights management copy protection, though. VLC cannot convert files from those discs. So really, if you need to copy a lot of discs, you need something other than VLC. But VLC handles all video types, audio files, and streaming. For a free application that doesn't have a paid version, VLC is remarkable. Thus, I am remarking about it. Now, that's not to say that you can't make a payment if you'd like to support the developers. You can, but it's not required, nor even requested very strongly. Version 3 of VLC now supports Chromecast, so you can stream video and audio files from your PC or laptop direct to a Chromecast device that's connected to a TV or a speaker. A full list of new features is on the VLC website. There's a link, of course, from the TechBiter Worldwide website. It runs on Windows, Mac OS, Android, iOS, Linux, and Windows Phone. And it supports high dynamic range files that make videos look a lot more realistic with higher contrast, more colors, and better brightness. Although VLC can also stream radio station audio, you probably won't use it for that. Most radio stations have their own streaming systems now that work with browsers, so many have removed access to direct links that applications such as VLC would use for streaming. The latest version includes the ability to play 360-degree videos, the wraparound kind. This will be more important as people buy video cameras that are capable of capturing wraparound video. Today, those kinds of cameras cost just a few hundred dollars, and they're selling quite well. Instead of needing proprietary software that's designed to work with your camera or dealing with the reduced quality that results from uploading videos to YouTube or Facebook, you can just have your friends install VLC when they want to look at your videos. And if you have a Chromecast device from Google, VLC can send video to large-screen televisions from a desktop computer, a laptop, or a phone. There are some limitations. Chromecast support is available only for Windows and Android devices. If you have an Apple device running iOS or Mac OS, it doesn't work. Yet. Coming soon. Extreme video fans will appreciate support for 4K and 8K resolution videos. Hardware decoding makes it possible for VLC to provide excellent support for these high-res files. There's almost nothing that VLC can't handle. It supports most audio and video codecs, and it runs, as I said, on just about every operating system. Windows, Linux, BSD, macOS, iOS, Android, and even Xbox. So the bottom line is five cats. If you watch videos on a computer, you need VLC. VLC appears to be the most versatile media player available regardless of cost, and there is no cost unless you choose to contribute. It runs on every popular operating system, plays nearly any media file. There are better applications for some of the tasks that VLC can handle, but nothing beats its versatility as a video player and some of the new features in version 3, support for Chromecast and Blu-ray discs, for example, make it indispensable. You'll find additional details on the VLC website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, Lightroom CC and Lightroom Classic CC are both diverging and converging. Adobe offers four applications with the term Photoshop in the name. Photoshop Lightroom CC, Photoshop Lightroom Classic CC, 
Photoshop CC, and Photoshop Elements. Elements is a standalone program, but the others are all included in Adobe's Creative Cloud Photography Plan. One might realistically wonder which application should be used when and for what. The current batch of updates to the applications makes this a good time to work through the differences, except for Photoshop Elements. That application is intended for those who want to do creative things with images, but don't want to deal with all of the controls that the other applications have, so I'm not discussing Photoshop Elements here. But how can two applications diverge and converge at the same time? As features are added to the cloud-based Lightroom CC, it has more potential to be used instead of Lightroom Classic CC, so that's the convergence part. Meanwhile, Classic focuses heavily on those who prefer the desktop application, and the cloud-based version enhances the Edit Anywhere functionality. For most users, it's probably not an either-or choice. It's a choice between which application is appropriate for the task at hand. The three Photoshop offerings in the photography plan could be described this way. Let's take Lightroom CC first. This one allows users to edit, organize, and store images using any computer or Android or iOS mobile device. Adobe sees this as the future of photography, but the feature set, while still growing, is generally less than the other offerings. Lightroom Classic CC is the desktop-centric workflow organizer, and it's a photo editor that handles adjusting color, exposure, contrast, clarity, vibrance, saturation, lens corrections, perspective control, split toning, well, and a lot more. Lightroom Classic can be used to make a few limited local changes to an image, too. And then there's the old standby, Photoshop CC. It is the application that's used for heavy-duty editing when layers are needed for image modification or compositing. Pixel-level changes may be thought of as micro-editing. Photography Plan users also have access to Portfolio, which is used to create websites for desktop and mobile devices to display the photographer's work and Spark. That's an application that creates highly designed emails, single-page websites, and short video stories. I won't be talking about those at all. Adobe Camera Raw is also included. When raw images are opened in Photoshop, Adobe Camera Raw first processes the file for basic adjustments before opening it in Photoshop. Adobe Camera Raw is also the technology that powers Lightroom and communicates with Lightroom's database. So what's new in the Adobe Creative Cloud Photography program? Well, several things. The Camera Profiles feature from Lightroom Classic and Adobe Camera Raw have been expanded to include many new presets. They are now called just Profiles. And the Profiles have been added to Lightroom CC. With six new Adobe Raw Profiles, there are now more than 40 Creative Profiles. Camera Matching Profiles are more accessible and profiles from third-party developers can now be imported. These new profiles may be of some concern to providers such as AlienScan and On1 because the profiles directly compete with offerings from those companies. That said, those who make extensive use of third-party presets probably will continue to value them. In Lightroom Classic CC, the big change is the Dehaze tool, which can be used to remove atmospheric haze and make an image clearer, has been moved from the Effects panel way down near the bottom of the tool stack all the way up to the Basic panel at the top of the stack. 
Obviously, users wanted that to be more accessible. For Lightroom CC, this time around, support has been added for network-attached storage devices and the ability to filter images by sync status. The iOS version has a new geometry tab, grain options, left-handed editing mode for iPad, and enhanced control over Lightroom CC web shares. The Android version now has a details tab with sharpening and noise reduction, grain options, and improved control over Lightroom CC web shares. Adobe's goal is to make both the Android and iOS versions essentially identical, but during development, one typically gets a little bit ahead of the other, so you see some seesawing back and forth. And for those who subscribe to the full Adobe Creative Cloud series of applications, there are numerous changes to the other programs in the collection. Dimension CC users will now be able to edit images in Photoshop. Internal editing functions have been improved and some performance enhancements have been added. Adobe Experience Design, the XD application, allows users to password-protect prototypes, and XD's ability to open Photoshop and Sketch files has been improved. And Creative Cloud for Video has a new feature for editing virtual reality sequences, and it is now integrated with Adobe Stock. Sabre, the company that provides much of the technology for the travel industry, says that several new technologies will soon have a significant effect on the industry. These include automation, authenticity, and blockchain. And a report by the company explains what they will mean to travelers. This week I finished reading a book that was written in 1999. In 1999, if you're going somewhere in a car, you need to stop and buy a map. Your cell phone will be used only for phone calls, and if you get very far from your home area, you're going to pay roaming charges. You are not observed by security cameras on every corner, and you can walk up to an airline ticket counter and pay cash for a one-way fare without arousing suspicion. I remember those days. They're gone, and more changes are on tap. Sabre Labs 2018 Emerging Technology Report examines the roles of automation, authenticity, and blockchain in the evolving travel technology landscape. Automation is hardly a new idea. However, advancements in artificial intelligence and machine learning offer the potential for changes in how we as travelers will be served. Awareness and cognitive capacity for machines suggest that a huge range of opportunities exist for those who serve the travel space and to completely rethink when and what to sell, how to staff and operate businesses, and how to anticipate customers' needs. Trust is in low supply, so authenticity and authentic experiences are more valuable than ever, according to Sabre. At the same time, businesses increasingly need to rely on technology and digitization to interact with their customers at scale. So can technology enhance authenticity? Is digital the enemy of the real? And how can augmented and virtual realities be reconciled with authenticity? The report reviews and considers those rather complex issues. Lately, we have seen huge volatility in the price of cryptocurrencies. That's been what dominates headlines. And all of this overshadows the value of the underlying blockchain technology, Separating the crypto hype from the real potential for secure trustless transactions is difficult, 
But the report from Sabre notes that there are significant promises for blockchain as it relates to travel. Imagine, the report says, starting a round-the-world trip without having to carry a passport or a wallet. If you'd like to read the full 2018 Emerging Technology Report, it's available without cost from the Sabre website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Lots of people develop applications for Android and iOS mobile devices. Sometimes companies notice these applications and purchase them from the developers. It's a perfectly normal, ordinary, mundane, unremarkable business transaction. Just move along, folks. Nothing to see here. Or is there? Well, maybe there is. The developer is 16 years old. And she's a homeschool student from just north of New Delhi, India. Redwood City Ventures, a cryptocurrency venture investment firm, purchased the iOS app from Harshita Aurora. It tracks cryptocurrency prices. The developer will also partner with the company to manage the crypto price tracker application's rapid growth. After launching the app in late January, she watched it become one of the top App Store downloads in just 24 hours. And again, this is a 16-year-old person from India. Crypto Price Tracker helps retail investors in 10 languages monitor prices of more than 1,000 cryptocurrencies across 20 exchanges in real time. It also allows users to set alerts and manage their crypto portfolio. Redwood City Ventures, which owns a cryptocurrency mining data center, bought the app as part of its strategy to offer consumer-focused financial technology products. Aurora says that she plans to develop additional applications the 16-year-old developer previously attended a summer program at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and is applying to work in the United States through a visa program for foreigners with extraordinary capabilities. The application is available from the Apple Store, and you'll find additional information online. There's a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. a lot of travel-related information this week. The U.S. Department of Defense would like you to break into the defense travel system. That system has been added to the department's bug bounty system that's intended to identify security flaws. The DTS manages travel itineraries, booking, and reimbursements for the Defense Department employees, and the bounty program is operated in conjunction with HackerOne. To be eligible to participate in the Bug Bounty Challenge, individuals must be U.S. taxpayers or be either a citizen of or eligible to work in the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, or New Zealand. U.S. government active military members and contractor personnel are also eligible to participate. They, however, are not eligible for financial rewards. This session is nearing an end, but you can enroll on the HackerOne website and check in there for future events. There's a link to the HackerOne website from the TechBiter Worldwide website. The Hack the Pentagon program began in 2016. Since then, more than 3,000 vulnerabilities have been resolved in various government systems. The first Hack the Air Force Bug Bounty Challenge resulted in 207 valid reports, 
Hackers earned more than $130,000 for their contributions. The second hack the Air Force found another 106 valid vulnerabilities and resulted in payments of nearly $104,000. The hack the Army in December 2016 identified 118 valid vulnerabilities. The payout there, $100,000. If nothing else, this program is absolute proof that software will always contain bugs and vulnerabilities regardless of how cautious the developers are. The project lead at Defense Manpower Data Center, Jack Messer, says the department has benefited from working with ethical hackers to secure vital systems. The diverse perspectives they bring to the table, he said, help to secure these critical systems. Well, Spare Parts has no critical systems, but maybe some interesting articles. They're only on the website. This week you'll find Wasabi with a new cloud storage app for Mac and Windows. It's not a data backup system but it could be a good choice for safely storing essential documents. And intelligent assistants and chatbots are likely to be used in about 40% of large organizations by this time next year. Most IT professionals are not worried about job security. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com and if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.